Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So today is Palm Sunday, and uh, Palm Sunday is is one of my favorite Sundays um, where we celebrate the uh, the coming of our King Jesus. Um, it comes out of John chapter 12. We're actually going to be in John 15 today, so we're not talking about the triumphal entry scene, but if you've, uh, maybe you were wondering, like, hey, why are all these kids waving palm branches? Maybe this whole, like, church thing is maybe new for you or something like that. It comes from the story of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday when Jesus intentionally sets a scene. It's a, there's a lot of cool imagery that's going on in that story of Jesus. Um, he intentionally sets this scene of saying that the king has come. The king is here. The Messiah has come. He rides in uh, from the east, from the Mount of Olives. He goes to the east gate. He's riding on a donkey. He goes straight to the, the temple. He cleanses it. All of that is uh, prophetic. It's pointing us to the Messiah, right? And as he's coming in, people are waving palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's an amazing moment. And it kicks off the last week of Jesus's life. Um, That's his last week on earth. Palm Sunday ushers that in when he comes into Jerusalem. He's not gonna leave Jerusalem again. Uh, He's gonna go to a cross and he's gonna die, right? And so that's, that's Palm Sunday. Where we are this morning and where we've kind of been the last couple of weeks is really the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. He's, um, if you remember, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, he told his disciples at the end of chapter 13, he says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and where I'm going, you can't follow me yet. And they were, they were anxious about that. They were confused. There was a lot of anxiety that, that followed. So they're going, this guy that we followed for three years, what are you saying? Like, now you're telling us you're just gonna leave us, you know? What are we supposed to do? And so there's been a whole lot of talk that Jesus has, has given on, on what they are to do. And in John chapter 15 this morning, he's going to tell them, here's what you do. You just remain in me. Just remain. So that's kind of what we're talking about this morning is what does it mean to remain in Jesus. Before we jump into the text, I'd like for us just to pray and, uh, and set our minds and our hearts in the right direction. So I'll pray for all of us. You pray for yourself. Ask God to speak. God, we want to pause and we want to ask that you, would, that you would do just that, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. Pray that you would reveal uh, yourself, that you would illuminate these pages, that you would cause the text just to come alive for us and that you would help us to follow whatever it is you place on our life. We're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse four. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So as we're reading that, and, and it's a kind of a, a, a popular passage that deals with um, vines and branches and gardeners and honestly a lot of things that I don't really understand. How many of you would say that you are like into gardening and uh, you enjoy that kind of thing? Just kind of slip up your hand. Anybody? Okay, there's a few. I mean, I saw, I mean, the Castleberries are here. You guys have a farm, right? Uh, Stanton's, I know you guys do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, my wife, she really enjoys plants and whatnot. I, I just want to have a yard that looks good, right? So I'm all into my grass. Um, I got to beat all the rival dads in the neighborhood with my yard looking just right, right? But uh, this passage dealing with um, a lot of plant imagery and so I think you can pick up on it, whether or not you are a, a farmer or not. But as you read this, like you may be tempted to just kind of focus on the external action, the producing fruit, right? And I think it comes from, um, what is it, verse 8. My father is glorified in this, if you produce. Like if you produce much fruit and if you prove to be my disciples. That's where we tend to focus, isn't it? Like, if you're not careful in this passage, you'll start to really hone in on this. Okay, I've got to, I've got to do a lot of external things. I've got to prove some stuff here. But, but the emphasis, I'm going to argue this morning, is not in the producing. The emphasis is, is in remaining, right? Just remain in Jesus. That's, that's what he's saying here, remain. In fact, uh, it may have sounded like a Dr. Seuss uh, bit for there, there for a while. He says, he says the word remain 11 times. Remain is used 11 times. So, so that is the point. The question is, is what does it mean? <laughs> you know, how, how, do we, how do we do that? How do you remain? How do you, how do you remain? And so Jesus, again, he's going to use this plant illustration to show us. The overarching thing that he says here is remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. So if you're taking notes, man, remain in Jesus. Let's break down the imagery of what he's saying, break down this metaphor of this plant, this vine, this branches, and, and what he's talking about. It's not hard to know who uh, these things represent because he clearly says them. He says, I am the vine. He says it twice. Up in verse one, he says, I am the true vine. So Jesus is the vine. He is the vine. He, he, and, and you're like, man, this is the last 24 hours of Jesus's life, and he's going to start talking about plants? That seems random, doesn't it? It seems like, what are, what are we doing here, Jesus? But you, but you gotta know, you gotta remember that everything Jesus does and says, none of it's random. None of it is, it, it all has a purpose. This is the seventh famous I am statement of Jesus in the book of John, for him to say, I am the vine. He said other things, I am the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I'm the good shepherd, um, all of those kind of things, you remember that? And all of those had deeper meaning, didn't they? Like when we talked about, I am the light of the world, we talked about how Jesus was standing underneath these giant um, torches in the treasury that they would light to, to talk about God's provision for them in the wilderness. Do you remember that? And Jesus standing underneath those, he goes, no, no, you don't need those to light up the city. I am the light of the entire world. That's what Jesus was saying there. Whenever he says, I'm the bread of life, he says that right after he just fed 5,000 people. 
right? And, he's, and he, says, he says, the bread that you just ate, you're gonna be hungry again, but I am the bread of life that, that brings uh, sustenance, that brings meaning and purpose to all of your life. So it's not random. When he says, I am the good shepherd, um, that was immediately following, if you remember, the Pharisees, the religious leaders treating the, the formerly blind man horribly. And Jesus, in the face of bad leadership, says, I'm different, I'm not like you. I am a good shepherd, I'm a good leader, right? So it's not random. And the same thing here, him talking about plants and vines isn't random at all, right? He, what he's doing is he's redeeming a broken image. See, all throughout the Old Testament, uh, the imagery of the vine is used negatively. In, in the Old Testament, it speaks of the vine in the negative sense, and the vine represents Israel. The vine represents the people of God. So Psalm chapter 80 is an example. God talks, it says that God brought a vine out of Egypt, right? That's the Exodus story with the people of Israel. Brings them out of Egypt, plants them in the promised land, and then they just get like ravaged by wild animals. They don't produce any fruit. Isaiah chapter five, same kind of thing. It talks about this vineyard, and Israel is the vineyard, and they have produced wild grapes instead of good grapes, okay? So, so the people that Jesus is saying this to, their context, whenever it comes to vines, is negative. It's not good, right? And what Jesus says here, he says, I am the true vine, in verse one. What he's doing, he's redeeming this broken image. He's flipping it on its head. He's, he's saying, I am what you've never been able to be. Like, you've, always, you've, you've tried, but you could never get there. And I am the true vine that flips it all on its head. He's saying, I am the remedy to your problem. I am the source of life, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But just like broken Israel, we can relate to this idea of a, of a broken vine as well because we are broken people and we look in all kinds of different directions all the time for, for something to attach our life to that will bring us life, don't we? We do it in a million different ways. Whether, whether it's you attach your, try to attach to your career or your family or your kids or your goals or your ambitions, none of those are bad things in and of themselves, but they aren't the source of life that we try and attach to. Jesus is saying here that he is the source of life, the source of vitality, the source of meaning and purpose. All right, so as we talk about everything else, we gotta keep coming back to that, that Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine. That's, that's where life comes from in a plant, okay? Jesus is the vine. Then he says, and you are the branches. That's talking about us. Jesus' followers would be the branches. And what it's going to say is that, that true followers of Jesus are branches who remain in Jesus and produce fruit. And there's that confusing language again. The produce. Just produce fruit. And you're like, what is fruit? What, what is the fruit in my life? Here's what I would say it is, if I could just kind of summarize how the Bible talks about fruit. Fruit represents evidence of a relationship. Okay? That's all it is. The, the, the external evidence in your life that tells everybody that one's connected to Jesus. That one's connected into the vine. Famous passage that talks about fruit is Galatians 5. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I missed one. But you know the song. You sang it as a kid, right? And so that's what we think of whenever we think of, of fruit. 
But like, if you think about it, none of those in that list are like real flashy external things, are they? Also, none of those things are, are individual. It says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So they work in tandem. Does that make sense? So as you're growing in one, you're probably going to be growing in another. But they're not flashy. They're not external things. They're just Jesus-y things. <laughs> That's how he lived. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how Jesus lived. And so being connected into him, those things begin to come up in our own lives as just evidence of being with him. Just evidence of being connected into the vine. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you, if you want to see fruit in your life, all you got to do is just stay connected to the vine. Just remain. Just, just remain in me and you'll produce fruit. You're going to produce fruit. And, and the Father's going to come in. He's going to prune you and you're going to grow and you're going to produce even more fruit if you just stay connected. Like it's simple, right? If you, if you listen to the way that Jesus talks about following him, in his teaching and in his ministry, it's very simple. He says things like, you're sheep, follow me. <laughs> you're a sheep, follow the shepherd. You're a branch, just stay connected to the vine. It's simple. It, it, it's, it's, it's just remain in Jesus. Don't overcomplicate it. But we do, don't we? <laughs> we do. Our mind immediately goes to verse eight of just produce. Produce and prove. Just just we complicate these things. We think if Jesus has saved me, now I gotta do a bunch of stuff to earn it or to keep it. But that's the opposite of what this passage is teaching us. Verse four clearly says, don't miss it. It says that the branch only produces fruit by remaining in the vine. Look at verse four again. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself. Underline that, highlight it, circle it, whatever. A branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I think about the other day, we were um, in our flower beds and uh, we have crepe myrtles. And um, I feel like people are divided on crepe myrtles a little bit. Like you either love them or you hate them. And we've just moved in and we had them. So now we deal with them, right? And so we did the thing where you just cut off all the tops. You know what I'm talking about? They call that crepe murder. Uh, people who love crepe myrtles call that crepe murder. Um, people who like their house being visible from the road just call it good, uh, good uh, gardening, I guess. I don't know. And so we did that. And we cut them all off and we stacked them over by, by the street. And you know what's going to happen? Well, it's going to grow more branches and it's going to do its thing. But the dead ones that we cut off aren't. They're not going to spring up a new crepe myrtle. No, they've been taken off and they've been, been burned. The, the life comes from the tree. The life comes from, from the vine, right? And that's the idea here. So, so don't get things backwards. Don't get things twisted around. Actions flow from being connected into the vine. Our actions don't connect us to the vine. Does that make sense? Like a branch never says, I, I just got to make some fruit. <laughs> it only comes through being connected into the vine. But I think a lot of people are just wearing themselves out, trying to be more and do more to earn God's approval. And maybe that's you this morning. You know, if I'm not careful, I can get to that place pretty easily. I can just start focusing on all the things that I'm doing for him that I forget that my calling is just to remain in him and let those things take care of themselves. Just, just remain in the vine. 
Remain in Jesus. So this text shows us that, that you just stay connected to Jesus, and if you do so, I would bet that you'll see fruit growing out of your life. You'll see evidence of being connected to the vine. Just, just stay connected. Just, just remain. That's what Jesus is telling his followers as he's about to leave. Just stay connected. Remain in me. I do want to be clear. Um, that sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Um, that sounds like all you got to do is just stay stay with Jesus and everything's going to be just fine. But this passage does not paint a picture of just sunshine and, and butterflies and rainbows, does it? He said up in verse 1 and 2 that the gardener is going to prune. The gardener is going to prune. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, um, again, I don't know much about gardening, but I do know that pruning equals cutting, <laughs> doesn't it? Pruning is that process where you go through and you, 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 you kind of strip off all of the little things that kind of suck all the energy out of the plant and you, you, you take away the things that are taking nutrients, taking the direction of the plant and you remove those so that the plant will grow strong. But you have to imagine when you do that, that plant still says, ow, doesn't it? <laughs> like when you start cutting those little things down at the bottom, it still hurts. It's still cutting. And it says that the father is going to do that uh, to make the plant healthier so that it will direct its energy in the right direction so that it pr will produce more fruit, he says clearly. And so as you're walking through this life, you're probably going to face some painful things, some difficult things, and maybe you're in them right now, right? Maybe you're in them. I want you to have the perspective that maybe it's the good gardener pruning you. Maybe he is doing that now. Maybe he was doing that then. And I'm sure it's not fun, but you got to know that it's necessary. Like I can look back on my life and, and the difficult seasons that I've walked through. And thankfully, I'm on this side of them now. You know what I mean? But I can look back and go, I can see how God was shaping me in that moment. I can see how he was growing me more into the likeness of Jesus. I can see how he was producing more fruit in my life by walking through that thing, by pruning, by shaping me. Why? Why would he do that? So that you'll grow. So that you'll produce more fruit. But again, we got to keep going back to the main point. You didn't do that. You didn't cause the growth. He did. He's pruning you. He, he's growing you. You just stay connected to the vine. You just remain. That's what Jesus is saying here. Just remain in him. This whole thing called the Christian life is not about doing more. It's not about being more. It's just about Jesus and us just remaining in him, just staying connected to him. That's the main point. And then he's going to tell us, here's how you do it. You do it by remaining in my words and remaining in my love. That's where the passage goes. So we remain in Jesus by first remaining in his words. Look at verse seven and eight. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So what he's saying is, is to remain in Christ. Well, we gotta know what he says and what he does, right? We gotta know those things. 
And, and, and really, verse 7 kind of deals with what we might call the spiritual disciplines of what it looks like to, to faithfully walk after Jesus. Again, let's be careful. We're not talking about we do those things to earn anything, right? We're remaining in Christ. And so we, it says we remain in his words. For the disciples hearing this, they're, they're, they're walking with him for three years, right? And they've, they've heard everything that he said and everything that he's taught and the ways that he acted and the ways that he uh, commanded them to live. And Jesus is saying, just remain in that. What I've taught you, remain in it. Keep walking in it. And for us, who didn't have the privilege of walking with Jesus face to face for three years, the way that we do that is through his word. We remain in his word. We stay connected to it. It's talking about spending actual time in the Bible as well as actually applying it to our daily lives because it's through his word that we learn. We learn Jesus's actions and teaching. We learn what we're supposed to do in this world. We learn from his word, we, we learn his responses, and, and that informs how we should respond. We learn his compassion, and that shows us how we're to live with compassion. We see his obedience, and we're, we see how we are to live and submit our lives to him. Do you see how the word is crucial to remaining in Christ? It's crucial. His words are like the nutrients that flow out of the vine and into the branches producing fruit. And as simply as I can put it, you will not grow if you aren't spending time in his word. You just won't. You can come here once a week, and I'm going to do my best for 30 minutes to try and open this up and, and, and hopefully teach you something. But if that's it, if that's the extent of your time in the word every week, you're not going to see much growth. You've got to be in the word, soaking it up. So we're in his words, and then it also kind of mentions our words. Did you see that? He mentions prayer. He's, he says, any, ask anything you want, and it'll be done for you. And that's kind of confusing, isn't it? <laughs> that sounds like just kind of name it and claim it. That sounds like kind of prosperity type stuff, like kind of genie in a bottle. Just if you want $10 million, just ask for it. And if you have enough faith, he's going to give it. Or if you've got to be healed from that thing, just, just ask for it, and he's going to do it. If you have enough faith, like that's kind of confusing. But he's not saying those things at all. The ask anything you want is connected to remaining in his words, right? That remaining in Christ involves ongoing communication with him. And when you do that, well, his desires start to become your desires. His wants become your wants. And then as you're aligned with the vine of Christ, then, then you start to ask for things that he's asking for. And you start to desire the things that he desires. That's, that's the point. You're aligned with him because you are in his word. You're communicating with him. You're remaining in Christ. Finally, he says to remain in his love. Remain in his love. Look at verse 9 with me again. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you Keep, keep note of this. If you, commit, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, if you keep my commands, you will remain. That's what he just said. Verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's the goal. Now, verse 12, this is my command. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for 
his friends. This, this verse is informing how we are to live, how we are to love one another, how we remain in his love. Verse 12 says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Did you know that how we love each other deeply matters? And I am talking about like us, brothers and sisters, the church. I think it's a good and, and great thing to take canned food to the food pantry and rake your neighbor's leaves and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the church loving the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, living like brothers and sisters, actual love for one another. In fact, he says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if, if you love one another. So think of it like this, that love is like the sweet, uh, the sweet taste of the fruit that we're producing. It's the thing that draws people into Jesus by how you and I love each other. They're watching, they're watching. That involves social media, that involves all kinds of different things, that how we love each other deeply matters. But in the context of what he's talking about here in this whole remain conversation, loving one another, loving one another as the church, it says, connects us to Christ. It keeps the branch connected to the vine, loving the church. I wanna show you a passage out of Acts chapter two. This is like the moment that, that the first church formed, all right? So they're brand new. Peter has just spoken and, and thousands of people, like 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. This is the church, this is the first church, Acts chapter two, verse 42, just notice the intimacy, the devotion, and the love that they have for one another. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Do you see it? Like that's not devotion or love for the church out of some kind of obligation. That's, that's devotion, that's a deep love for one another that is the fruit of being connected into the vine. Just, connect, just devoted to one another, loving one another. So we don't attend, we don't serve, we don't give, we don't do anything else for any other reason other than the love of Christ and the love that we have for one another. That's why we do what we do. And when we do that, this passage is clear that it'll change a community. I mean, verse 47 says that every day the Lord was adding to their number. Like people were getting saved. People were being drawn in. Why? Because the fruit was sweet. Like they could see the love that they had for one another. So it'll change a community, but then it'll also change us. Like if the goal is to remain in Christ, this is it. It'll change us by loving one another, loving his church. And so as clearly as I can say it, you are not going to grow in Christ if you're not plugged into his church. You're just not, all right? But if you'll understand the calling to love 
the church, brokenness and all, right? Brokenness and all. And you jump in and you serve and you give and you live in community in a small group with others, I promise you this, it'll change you because he's designed it to do that. Like this whole thing is God's, God's plan. It's his design. Verse 12 again, this is my command. Love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you. See, he's the example. His love shows us how we love. His love affects how we love. How did he love? Verse 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says that less than 24 hours before he will go and do it. Just 24 hours before he is arrested, falsely accused, put on trial, and hung on a Roman cross, he says this, that I'm laying down my life for my friends. See, the gospel message tells us that we are broken vines, that we, are, we, we can't do it on our own. Everything we try doesn't work, just like Israel. We can't make it on our own, so Jesus himself steps into this earth. It's his purpose in coming. He comes on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen to lay down his life for his friends. He went to a Roman cross and they slaughtered him there and we'll celebrate that this Friday. We call it Good Friday and it's like, why would you call it good? You're talking about your savior being brutally murdered. We call it good because he didn't stay dead. <laughs> he came alive, he, he rose from the dead three days later proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever and when he does, he offers us life. And that's the invitation of this book. That's the invitation of John. John 20, 31, he clearly says his purpose in writing this to us. He says, I'm writing these things to you, why? So that you'll believe. That you would believe that, that Christ is the Messiah and that by believing you would have life. That's the central theme of this book. Believe in him, have life. Be connected into the vine, right? Just be connected. So the good news of the gospel that we proclaim, that we come here to celebrate and sing about, it's not about our being, it's not about our doing, it's about Jesus, the source of life. <laughs> and then we just, we just remain in him. We just stay connected to the vine. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.